And the rest of us can open in our Bibles in the Gospel of Luke and chapter 20. You'll find it on page 1042 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 20, page 1042. And uh, what this, this little passage, it's, uh, we're just going to read the last part of chapter 20 and then the first part of chapter 21. I, I think it's kind of sometimes a little bit unfortunate the way that the, the chapter uh, markers were placed in the text. Sometimes they don't quite seem to fit uh, where they belong. But uh, th- these two little sections, they do fit together very nicely. And uh, so that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to bridge between chapters 20 and 20. Hey, we're getting to chapter 21 of Luke. Yeah, this is wonderful. Um, <clears throat> a red letter day. So uh, what, what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about um, the, the, the way that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees live. He's just been in conflict with them. He's just been in debate with them. He's been arguing with them. They've been challenging him, and he's been uh, challenging them back. And now he warns his followers, he warns his disciples about them. And then, just as he's doing that, lo and behold, here comes this scene, uh, this widow giving her little offering, which fits perfectly into what Jesus was talking about, gives a perfect example of it. So I'm reading in Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 45. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasurer. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Have you ever had the experience of uh, being around somebody with a very, very strong personality and their perspective just begins to shape your perspective? When I was a young man, it seemed like every, every one of the little jobs that I had, uh, you know, as I was you know, first getting into the, into the work world, uh, end of high school and beginning of college and in between high school and college, there was always some person with an extremely strong personality. Uh, and uh, I would resist, you know, getting sucked into their way of seeing things and their, their take on everything, especially as I would be new and this person would be trying to, uh, you know, fit me in. Um, have you ever been in a place, a, a setting, an environment that just seemed to shape your mindset, that seemed to give you a, 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 an outlook? that shaped you. You know, there's a phenomenon of the way that we're made, the way human beings are, that we conform. And so conformity is a natural tendency that we have. And um, it seems to me that this is just what Jesus is, is pointing out. This is what Jesus is warning the disciples about, this tendency to be conformed. And so he tells his disciples to beware. And... Uh, 
it, you might think at first, you know, beware. Uh, he says, while all the people were, were, were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. You might think at first, well, it's, it's a reference to all the persecution that's coming. It's a reference to all the, uh, the way that these people are hostile to Jesus. He's just been in conflict with him. They're trying to, they're plotting against his life. And maybe he's warning his disciples that these are dangerous people. They can do bad things to you. And I suppose that's true, that uh, people like, like that are dangerous. People like the way these uh, teachers of law and Pharisees as they're revealed and described in these pages, they're dangerous types of people to run into. But I think that Jesus is warning them about conformity and warning them about the example. Beware of their example. Beware of their way of life because of where it leads, because of what, what really it is and what it does to you. And so there's a, there's a theme, I think, in this passage that we're looking at of worldliness, a warning against worldliness. Worldliness is when you let your values be shaped by society and by nature. When you, get, when you learn to weigh things according to the world and, and what you can feel and sense, rather than getting your values from God. And so the, the, the teachers of law and the Pharisees, they're worldly. And so they're setting a worldly example for people. And this is what Jesus so much wants us to avoid, so much wants us to avoid falling into. Worldliness warps your perspective. It shapes your frame of mind, and it throws off your sense of values. It confuses what's important and what's worthless, and, uh, and it's like looking in the funhouse mirror. Everything gets distorted and changed. So I want us to look at three ways that worldliness distorts our perspective. And uh, uh, the first, as we, as we look in here, we just see in verse 46 the way that the teachers of the law are behaving and the things that they're doing that Jesus points out, what he criticizes them for is, is their, their pursuit of self-aggrandizement. And worldliness can make you think too much of yourself. And that's what these teachers of law and Pharisees illustrate. So they're busy uh, looking so that they can walk around in flowing robes. They're very interested in their outward appearance. And they like to be greeted in the marketplace. They're concerned for their reputation and their acceptance. They, they look for the best seats in the synagogue. So when they come into God's house, they want to be recognized as the very, very holy people. And then in the, in the feasts, in the banquets, they like the places of honor. They want stature. They want recognition. Uh, then he, he also talks about how they, for show, they make lengthy prayers. They, they want to, to have a kind of dignity about them that, that people will go, ooh, when they see them. Uh, you know, for us today, the temptation of, of um, you know, really uh, being popular and accepted because we're very, very religious it's not a temptation that, that we struggle with a whole lot today. Um, but we do struggle with the temptation of being accepted and being popular and doing whatever it takes to kind of let make people look at us and go, ooh. Uh, so what's happening with these, uh, these uh, teachers of the law is that they're looking for the applause before they perform any 
uh, remarkable feat. They're interested in the tokens and not in the thing that the token is for. They're interested in the congratulations, but they're not so interested in being worth the congratulations. So they're, you know, these, it's so attractive to have people pat you on the back and say what a great guy you are, to hug you when you go into the marketplace. Everybody wants to be with you. Everybody wants to talk to you. You know, that's what we love. And so it's, it's a natural thing for us to be drawn to the, to the tokens of being important, the tokens of being a great person without paying the price to be a great person, without being a great person. And so it's like dealing in counterfeit money. And I think we have a whole society that's dealing in counterfeit money that we've, got, we've gone adrift and we've become disconnected from the reality of what makes praise worth something and what makes value in, in our society. And so we, we're, we're sort of like uh, you know, a ship that has gone out to sea and we've left the whole society behind, but we're still carrying on all the, uh, all the distinctions and all the ways of life back, back on the mainland as if we're still there. And we, we just don't realize that we're just a tiny speck out in the middle of a vast ocean. And all of, all of what we're valuing so much is very, very, very far away. It was 95 years ago last night, around 2.30 in the morning, October 15, 1912, that this great palace on the waters, the, 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 the largest moving object uh, on the sea, uh, went to the bottom of two, two and a half miles of icy water off the coast of Newfoundland. The Titanic sank. And, uh, you know, what a picture where you had the people in first class, you know, who were so proud of what they, what they had attained, who st- no doubt, you know, were, were bragging about the tickets that they had gotten, strutted up the, you know, up the, uh, the way into the ship and across the deck and into their staterooms, not realizing that they were ensconcing themselves in what would be their tomb. And uh, so there on the Titanic, all the different classes and all the jealousies and all the envies, no doubt, were there and people protecting their turf and, and looking for the, those little credentials that would make them stand out and seem to be better than someone else. But then as the ship went down, the true quality of people was, was brought out and it became visible what really is uh, valuable, what really is great and what isn't. So hold honors loosely. Don't be too eager to get and keep this counterfeit money that passes around so much. Try to look at what's really valuable. Try to see through the honors and see what is really honorable. As a church, we shouldn't be too afraid of scorn. We shouldn't be too worried if people think that, you know, that a church is, you know, not good. If people want to criticize it or say that, um, oh, you know, that church, they're just, they're not with it. They're not hip. They're not, you know, they're not doing things, you know, the way that people do today. Uh, people are going to criticize the body of Christ. People who don't love Christ are going to disdain and reject the body of Christ. And if they loved and honored him, if they listened to him and followed his teaching, 
then they'll love and honor you and listen to you and follow your teaching. But Jesus says, woe to you when men speak well of you, for that's how they spoke of the false prophets. So obviously we don't want to just go out there and try and be in a competition to be the most hated or you know, to be the, the most despised. We want to do everything we can to do what's right in the eyes of everybody, but not worry excessively when people think that uh, you know, we're not great. So it's not a popularity contest. It's about uh, being real, being good. Christian, who's your role model? Who are you following? Who are you shaping yourself to be like? And you Christian leader, you elder, you leader in a ministry, are you following Christ? Are you loving honor? Are you loving respect? Are you just conforming to the pattern of how we do things at South Shore Baptist Church? Or are you following the Lord and loving the Lord? So worldliness can just twist our perspective and, and get us thinking that all these worldly things are, are so important and we get so wrapped up trying to get more of them for ourselves and we just get completely off the track, thinking too much of ourselves. So that's one way that, that worldliness will, will warp our perspective is it makes us think too much of ourselves and be too eager to get all kinds of praise and credit for ourselves. And then the other thing it'll do is it'll make us uh, not think enough about others, to think little thoughts, to think uh, you know, small things and despise other people. And this is the link between these two uh, sections of our passage, this one at the end of chapter 20 and the one at the beginning of chapter 21. This is the link, is that there's, uh, there's something in both of them about despising somebody and actually something in both of these passages about despising a widow. And so you have this, this you know, great uh, Pharisee, teacher of the law, and he devours widows' houses and for a show makes lengthy prayers. And uh, so then in the next, in the next part, there's the, the widow, of course, who gives the two small coins, and you know, she's so insignificant. She, nobody can pay any attention to her, and Jesus has to point out you know, a different perspective on her to help people see uh, who she really is. So we tend, because we're worldly, to look down on other people and to not respect, not regard them, not see them for what they are. So in, as Jesus is speaking about this Pharisee devouring the widow's house, you know, it's, it's not clear you know, what, what, what he might have in mind, you know, in what way would a teacher of the law gain you know, this, this uh, advantage over a widow and be able to sort of use up all of her possessions and her household and her worldly goods. Uh, there, there are a number of different ways that might happen. I think he's just throwing an example of the kind of heart that, that can be seen in some of their actions. And so this one or that one might do this sort of thing. But it's part of a tradition, a prophetic tradition that Jesus is carrying forward. Even all the way from the books of Moses, all the way through the Old Testament prophets, I think even before Moses, this tradition was there, a prophetic tradition that you have to watch out for the weak. The widow, the homeless, uh, that is the alien, the widow, the alien, the poor, and the fatherless. And those are sort of the four categories that would be repeated over and over again that you have to watch out for the weak. And so today, if we would carry forward that same prophetic tradition and apply it to ourselves, who are the weak today that we would watch out for? Children. I think uh, among evangelicals, it's very fashionable to, 
talk about the unborn. And certainly they're very weak and uh, defenseless. Uh, the elderly, uh, they, they can so easily be overlooked and ignored. They're not honored the way that they were in, in uh, simpler times. Uh, and the alien, you know, whether the alien is an illegal immigrant or a legal immigrant or a U.S. citizen who still isn't quite recognized as being what I might consider, you know, my view of the mainstream. And so we might tend to disregard people and look down on them, not pay attention to them, not think about who they are and how valuable they are, and uh, not give ourselves to them. And so it's so easy to just move from disdain to oppression and taking advantage of somebody, uh, walking over their needs. Um, if you've been down like that, then you've seen how that can easily happen. They did an interesting uh, psychology experiment. They did some studies on this whole phenomenon of conforming and conformity. And uh, uh, in one of them, they would, they would bring the, the subject of the, you know, the person that they were really going to study, and uh, they would actually get him to think that he was helping run the experiment. And so the, the, one of the people helping run the experiment would be an actor. And so the two of them would be sitting there, and the, the person in the white coat would now uh, select one to help with the experiment, and the other one he would tell, you're going to, is, is the actor. You can tell him, you're going to be, you know, part of the experiment. So the person, the actor, gets put into, uh, into a seat, you know, on the other side of a glass window, and the electrodes are attached to him. And, uh, and then the one that they're actually doing the experiment on, going to find out what, what, you know, what are the characteristics of the way that people conform to things. He gets sat in a seat with a red button in front of him and a dial. And uh, so the person in the white coat is reading, you know, some complicated questions and some instructions, and the, and the person out there, the actor in the seat with the electrodes on him, he's supposed to, uh, you know, answer everything correctly. If he gets anything wrong, then this fellow over here is supposed to push the button and give him a shock. And then as things go on, if he gets things wrong more and more, then he's supposed to turn up the voltage and give him a more and more of a shock. And, you know, the guy and the actor, you know, he gets a little tiny tingle, so he knows when he's supposed to do his thing. And so then, you know, as the voltage goes up, he's doing more and more, you know, dramatic uh, convulsions and uh, rolling his eyes and all these kinds of things. And uh, it's, it's amazing, you know, when a person in a white coat with authority is telling you that this is what must be done. You must turn up the dial to a higher voltage and you must give them a nice long shock. What we will do and how we will treat people, and the way that we will conform to the standards around us, the way that we drift along and go along. You know, I know all of us are very independent, and none of us would ever go along with doing something that we thought was wrong. But it's funny how when you look back at what you've done in the past, you can kind of see it in, in hindsight. Man, how did I ever get to the point of, of acting like that, talking like that, thinking like that? So worldliness and uh, the power of conformity. It can make us uh, despise people, look down on people. So what we need to, to do, what we're called to be, is consistent in our uh, compassion toward other people, consistent compassion toward the weak. And um, if, if, that mean, if that, that's in the area of politics, it's in the area of people at the workplace, it's in your family. You know, one of the things that, that I think we, we often, one of the areas which I, I feel many of us easily trip up in, 
is how we treat our children when our our marriage is is in trouble and or or when we want to get married and we have children and these are hard hard situations that people get into but we have to put our children before ourselves and we have to remember that they're the weak party and they didn't ask to be put into whatever situation that we've gotten them into and we need to make our children a priority when they're weak when they're small and uh, do what's best for them and then uh, how about a test a test for us now I'm not gonna you know put electric shocks on anybody but but it's just about as bad you'll have to pardon me for for this but let me ask you this question and then forgive me for asking it but what what would it be like if a genuine Christian entered our midst what would it be like if there was a genuine full-fledged full-on completely on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ Christian among us I mean you've got your own picture in your head of what I'm talking about but uh, you know it's would 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 I accept him would you accept him would he be accepted would he conform would he fit in in, in, in this, what we call the body of Christ here at South Shore Baptist. It's a question to ponder. I don't know. It's a question to think about. It's a challenge. What if, what if we did have a real, genuine, full-on uh, Christian? I, I'm not doubting that, that, that they're genuine. That this room is full of genuine Christians. But, um, you know, we're kind of half-hearted, aren't we? What if there was someone among us who was just full-on for the Lord Jesus Christ? How would he get along with us? How would we get along with him? So we might look down on him. We might, we might despise him easily because he doesn't fit in. He doesn't conform. He doesn't have the counterfeit bills. He doesn't trade the way that we trade. So worldliness, it warps our perspective by making us think too much of ourselves. It warps our perspective by making us look down on others. And it can warp our perspective by making us think too little of ourselves and becoming discouraged. Worldliness can make you become discouraged. Because if you, if you lack the counterfeit money, if you don't have the, the items that are being traded, if you're not on top, well, then you're a nothing. Like this widow. Two copper coins. Everyone is there putting in their wonderful big gifts and all she has to contribute is two very small coins. Now, no doubt they would have bought something. People don't uh, make coins for, for to, you know, to be used for buying nothing. Of all, I suppose we do, don't we? We make pennies and we can't buy anything with them. But that's because we have inflation these days of a kind that they didn't have back in those days. So certainly the, the, the two coins would have been able to buy her something small. Uh, Jesus says it's, it's all she had, uh, whether he was, you know, literally, uh, you know, prophetically saying that he knew what was in her purse and that there was nothing else and that he, she had no other income, I don't know. He may have just been, you know, exaggerating the point to drive it home that this woman gave out of her poverty. She gave things that she needed. She gave money that she was depending on. But it was so small. And it's so easy for us to become discouraged when we don't have much. So we're switching perspectives. We've been looking at, at how this whole, this whole teaching applied and how it all looked from the eyes of the disciples. 
But how does it look from the eyes of this woman, this widow? Let's look at it from her perspective. She comes in, and all she has is her two copper coins. And uh, it, she could feel so insignificant. Why should she give? Her contribution is just dust on the scales. It adds nothing to what is going to be done for God's worship in the temple. And besides, her needs are so great. Why should she contribute to, to the needs of worship in God's house? And besides, God has made her life bitter. What has God done for her that she should give to God? No, no, that's worldliness. She doesn't think that way. She rejects that whole way of thinking, and she goes in with faith, and she gives her, you know, her amount that she has, those two coins. And no doubt the reason is because she realizes who the temple is for, that it's for God, that she recognizes God's presence, God's majesty, God's glory, and she's attracted by God. She's, she's moved by love for God. She's, she's drawn by uh, the fact that God will provide, that God will provide in a life to come. She has a hope that as she knows this God and this God loves her, that she's going to have better things than all of these things in the world. If God can give these worldly things, surely there are better things that he has to give for her. And so she has hope in God, hope of life. And, and she, she can count on God providing. Look, he's provided for her up to this day. She's there. She's had basically what she's needed somehow. She's gotten there to that point. And it's only because God has provided. And God will take care. That's faith. She knows the God she's believed. She trusts him. So instead of a worldly attitude of discouragement, she comes with a positive attitude of faith. She trusts God. She knows that he will, that he will provide. And so Jesus looks at this woman and he commends her. Look what he says about her there in chapter 21. And... Uh, so we'll just start with verse 2. He says, um, um, He saw the widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave, uh, gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So she gave more than all the others. All of what they did, all the great things they did, which, you know, apparently at that time, what they could actually do is when somebody would put in a gift, it could be announced. Uh, he has given three gold goblets, three wonderful, you know, the, the, this kind of thing. There'd be an announcement of what the person has put in. And so then that might be how Jesus even knew that it was two copper coins that she had put in, that there might have been an announcement. But it was that kind of, of environment where people were praised for giving. And uh, so... She gave so little, but Jesus praised her. She received no praise, but Jesus praised her. Not because it was something great to see. Not because her gift was a great amount, but because she trusted God. She looked to God and she worshipped him. She had the things that God looks for. She had the things that are worth praising. 
She had the things that God commends. She had the real article. She didn't have the tokens of it. She didn't have the thing to show in the world that makes it look impressive, but she had the real thing. Do you have the real thing? Do you have real faith in Christ that's worth more than all the things that you can gain and keep and give and get and lose? Do you have faith in Christ? When the Titanic went down, there was one fellow... 40-year-old guy. He had been a preacher for more than half his life. And uh, he was on the Titanic together with his, his daughter, just a little girl. Uh, the, the daughter, the, his wife had died. And so he was a widower, just had the daughter. And uh, the fellow had been preaching the gospel just, you know, out and out for, for years and years. He had, he had a church of, had grown to 500 that he had planted. He had started it with 25 people. And by the time he left, it was, it was 500 people. And he was, he was traveling over to the United States. He was just going to continue doing the work that he was called to and committed to, which was preaching the gospel. And now the Titanic is going down. And so he puts his daughter in the life, in the lifeboat. And, uh, he tells her, you'll see me again. And he turns and he goes to the, the other people on the decks and he's, he's sharing the gospel with people. And, uh, so then finally, you know, the boat is breaking and it's tipping and people are spilling off. He jumps into the water with everybody else. 1,500 people went down that night. And so John Harper was swimming around and finding the people who were in the water. And still, you know, as, as uh, people were drowning around him and as, as he himself was, was freezing and becoming colder and colder, he was still sharing the gospel with people. And uh, one fellow he found had, uh, you know, lifted himself up on a piece of wreckage and, and was kind of floating around there. And uh, John Harper came and found him and said, do you know Christ? And, uh, and do, do you want to receive Christ? And the fellow says, no, no, I don't need any of that. Get, it, get away from me. And uh, he says, well, then you need this more than I do. He takes off his life vest and gives it to the guy. And he goes swimming off and, you know, finds someone else and he's sharing the gospel. Later on, he comes back and he finds the guy. And, you know, this time, of course, the guy receives Christ in, in tears. And later on, uh, narrated that part of the story about how John Harper had shared the gospel with him. A treasure better than anything that went down with the Titanic. A treasure better than all that, that all those people had together. A treasure better than everything in the United States or in England. And John Harper went down with it. Do you have it? Do you want it? Jesus is here to give it to you. And so by his Holy Spirit, he'll pour out his riches in your heart. The love of God poured out in your heart. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Look to Christ. Come to him with your sins. Come to him for eternal life. Come and yield to the king. He's coming again. All the riches, all the treasure are in his hands to give to you. And all that you have in your hand is counterfeit. It's empty because you know in your heart, though there are a thousand good things, they're all spoiled, they're all tainted, they're all bent out of shape, they're all tarnished. There isn't anything in your heart that's acceptable before God, but Christ will take you to himself and make you his own. He'll cleanse you. He'll make you acceptable before the Father by his blood, by his offering and sacrifice for you. Won't you grab hold of Christ? Won't you come to Christ today, now, not later?
Let's bow in prayer. So, Father, we thank you for your grace, for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, thank you for your wonderful love toward us. Thank you for true riches, which we already possess and which we shall enjoy, which we already enjoy through the Holy Spirit and as we enter your presence in worship and as you open our hearts to see you high and lifted up with the eyes of faith. Oh, Father, we pray for those among us today who do not know Christ as Savior. And, Father, we ask that you would break their hearts with the good news of salvation, that they would see the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and be moved, moved out of their self-satisfaction, moved out of their discouragement, whatever it is that's holding them back, Father, you know. We ask that you would work in people's hearts for the sake of your name and for the sake of these who are lost among us today. And Father, for us who claim the name of Jesus and who claim to be your followers, give us eyes to see and to reject the empty things around us and to hold fast to you and your kingdom, to love you and to live for you. Oh, give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen.